How's everybody doing? Are you as surprised as I am that I'm here in this slot? <laughs> Nobody's more surprised than those girls on Neuro 3. God is good. Hey, and what a great uh, music selection, Mark, and your team. And just, just beautiful. This uh, theme of freedom, it looks like it's on everybody's mind. I, I like, Drew, your verse of scripture that you picked out. <clears throat> Keith, the only problem is I had picked those verses as well. So, <clears throat> now you do a search on freedom. <laughs> It comes up. <laughs> but I am um, so happy to be with you guys today during this time. You know, we've, we've really been blessed over the last several weeks from what I'll call the non-professional class that have led us here. Um, I'm always hesitant to name names because I, I usually leave one out. But... Brant Bell, Bill Wright, Keith Bain, Chris Barnhill, and what about Emily Lavender? I mean, hit me right there. Nikki Fox, and then we do have a professional amongst us, Dean Barm, and two weeks ago, I think it was his best message he's ever delivered here. We are so blessed to have so many people that step up during this time, but I want to put your minds at ease. I'm not under consideration. <laughs> I'm humbled to be here. My family, that's the only way I could do this. I'm with family, best people on earth, my family at Fourth Avenue. Freedom. Wars have been fought for it. Treaties and pacts have been formed to ensure it. Men and women have sacrificed everything for the chance to experience it. And that it is freedom. You know, when I was a teenager, probably starting about 13, 14, freedom for me was hitchhiking. You know, I, I didn't have a car, I wasn't old enough to drive, and if I wanted to go somewhere, I found that it was a pretty efficient mode of travel to get up on the road and stick my thumb out. I had a lot of success at it. Um, if I needed to go to somebody's house, to the pool during the summer, school during the fall, even to a concert in Memphis or Atlanta, I stuck my thumb out. But I mean, it was such a feeling of freedom. I even hitchhiked to Mexico and back. Twice. <laughs> to me, that was freedom. But once in Daytona Beach, Florida, on the eve of my 16th birthday, I'd been staying with some friends at one hotel and some other friends were staying at the beach, at a hotel on the other side of the beach. I'd been over there late into the night. I said, I'm gonna go back to my hotel. I got up on the road, I stuck my thumb out. Immediately, Daytona Beach police car pulled over, grabbed my arm, put me in the back of the car and took me to jail. 
hitchhiking is against the law. That's the first time it had been enforced. But I soon, <clears throat> I soon found myself in a very small jail cell, probably built for two people, and there was at least six in there. Most of them were older than I, dirty, smelly, drunk, sick. And one strange dude that was about my age kept scratching at the door saying, I smell gas, I smell gas, let me out of here. And I kind of looked at him and thought, maybe he knows something that I don't know, but it was a night I'll never forget. It was also a night that <clears throat> I gained a new respect and appreciation for freedom. I didn't want to be locked up again against my will. Imprisonment is not always being locked away in a jail cell. Imprisonment can often take the form of lifestyle choices that lock us up, imprison us, and we're unable to be who God wants us to be. The person he built us to be. We can live lives that are full of jealousy and envy, comparing ourselves to others and wanting their lives as our own and wanting what they have as our own. Or worse, judging others based only on our own sick bias and wanting to make sure we're better than they are. Trying to be God in this life, I've done that. Failed miserably. Then there's the lying, the cheating, the stealing, mind-altering substances that poison the mind and body. Addictions that hold us captive. And all of this is driven by relentless fear and sense of a pending doom. All because one is attempting to live this life with no design for living. I've lived this way before. I know of what I speak. But today, I want to talk about freedom. And the freedom, to me, that trumps all else. And that's freedom in Christ. Paul tells us in the letter to the Galatians that Keith Bain quoted for us earlier, for you have been called to freedom. Now, I realize that this was Paul talking specifically to the early Christians about a specific part of the law that they were demanding still take place. I understand that. But I want to put this in a greater context because I think it applies. The way I read this Galatians letter and so many other pieces of Scripture is that a life of sin is actually a life of self-serving imprisonment. While a life of spirit-led love is joy-filled. It's, it's fueled by love. It's fueled by service to others. It is freedom in Christ. I believe Paul is inviting us, the reader, into what 
I would call a wonderful and glorious freedom simply by trusting in what God has already done for us through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but this world can have a strong gravitational pull on me. And its attempts to lock me up are never ceasing. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read the message version of this. Your old life is dead, your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your will, real life, remember, shows up on, again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. Charles Kauser is a writer on the Galatians letter, commentator. And he says, Christ has set us free, which means God's decisive salvation has been accomplished and a complete change of allegiances has been effected. No longer bound to taskmasters like sin, the law, death. Christians are set in the service of God. Like Israel, they become his special possession and Christ is our liberator. I like that. We are his special possessions, no longer bound by sin, the law, and other taskmasters that lead to death. Our liberator is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's masterpiece. I like that too. We are created anew in Jesus Christ so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Now I focus on that. That before I was even born, God had a plan and a purpose for me. And I believe he's got a unique purpose for everybody in here today that only you can fulfill. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel that you're playing a role in a play and you're doing it every day? You're putting on an act? And sometimes the character changes depending on who you're with and the situation you find yourself. That's the way I used to live my life, every day, my old life. My old life was a series of scenes in which the character changed to accommodate the situation or who I was with. I was a people pleaser, presenting myself to whomever as the person I believed they wanted me to be. I was a different person at work than I was at home. I was cool hand Luke with my buddies, and I was a perfect son at home. I was a total fraud, and it was hard work to boot. Living life through a collection of lies is terribly hard work. Believe me. I did not even know the real me until the Holy Spirit showed up in my life. He showed me how to throw off the shackles of acting, of lying, of living out a false self, and to be freely the man God made me to be. I am free because of Jesus Christ, and if someone does not like who I am, that's none of my business. 
I'm not going to be anyone else just because someone expects me to be a certain way or it might help me get through a particular situation. My business is to walk in his ways always in everything and I found that liberating. <clears throat> Paul in his letter to the Ephesians describes it this way. Ephesians 4, and 24, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created by God, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Okay, so how do you experience this new life of freedom in Christ? I can only tell you what I do, my church family. I'm just here to share my, my walk with you. First, for me, I had to surrender to Jesus Christ and then learn to abide in Him, to stay close to Jesus, to read and study what His Word says, and then to walk it out in my everyday life with others that are also trying to abide in Christ. I ask Him daily to take my life and use it for His purposes. In John 15, verse 5, this scripture has meant a lot to me in my way to discovering and abiding with Jesus Christ, where he says, in, starting with verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a fire to be burned. But, I love this but, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Excuse me. Do you really want to live? I mean, really live then abide in Christ stay close to others who abide in Christ let Christ be your guide remember you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted pray this believe this it will happen in your life I'll admit that I did not always practice what I'm preaching. I've been, I've done it both ways. Now that kind of makes me a, an expert. Maybe not an expert preacher, but it makes me an expert on what I'm talking about. As a result of living various roles that I described earlier, and trying to be God in this life, day in and day out, I reaped unmitigated havoc in my life. And I passed that on to others. Nothing worked as I planned. So I just kept trying harder. And the frustration grew worse. I learned the hard way through many losses. And most of those losses were relationships that were very meaningful to me. That maybe, just maybe... Jesus Christ could, 
not only saved me from hell, which I feared, but just maybe he could do something about this life, the rest of my days here in this earth. So I was introduced to this powerful concept of surrendering my life to Jesus through others who had experienced a similar walk of life that I just described, the same difficulties that I experienced. This surrendering is not a one-time event. It is a process. I have to do it every day. But you know what? By, by surrendering and learning to abide in Him and walking with people like you, things got better. Imagine that. So what are some of the benefits of a new life of abiding in Christ? For me, a steady confidence that everything is as it should be. Fear, worry, guilt, shame no longer dominate my thoughts. Everything is fundamentally good. Relationships are genuine and rewarding. You actually want to serve others. You get a kick out of being helpful. A sense of hopefulness accompanies your thought process. A joy bubbles down from deep within you. Just over the mere thought that you are God's child and you're under his protection. You want to seek to know God more intimately. Spend time with him. You know God is guiding your life so your former struggles are no longer crushing you. In fact, your spirit soars. I used to think with all that I had done, living a life of rebellious sin, mainly just self-will, gone riot, that there was no way I could be good enough to make up for all the bad. But the Spirit convicted me in a way to help me to understand an incredible gift of grace, which is, to me, the second leg on this stool that I'm building. Surrender my life to Christ and abide in Him and accept this wonderful gift of grace. Now, it's really taken me a while to, to get my arms around this one. And probably the biggest challenge has been to learn that to keep this, not necessarily to keep this, but to fully understand this gift of grace, I have to give it back. The brightest light bulb went off for me was during a grace marriage class that was held here for the last three years that the Brant and Jennifer Bell hosted. That entire class was about the intentionality of not just accepting grace in our lives, but giving it back, whether to a spouse, co-worker, every situation. I want grace, right? I want, I want your forgiveness and acceptance of me and my faults. I have to pour the same thing out to you. You see, I believe we all want to live a life that matters, a life with purpose, to leave a lasting legacy here when we leave this world to live a life of eternity with Jesus. And over the years here at Forth, 
We have been so blessed to witness lives that were lived all in for Jesus Christ. And when they left us to go be with him, they showed us how it was done. They were giants of models of living a life that matters. So blessed. I believe God's grace, both the accepting of it in our lives and the giving of it to others, gives us the freedom to discover what our unique purpose is in this life and then go do it. One of my favorite Bible teachers is a, is a fellow by the name of R.C. Sproul. Now, R.C. died in 2017, um, and I got to know him through a Christian radio show that I listened to late at night. It drives Jill crazy, but I listened to it next to my ear, and his messages kind of lull me off to sleep because they're all very peaceful messages about living a life with Christ. Now, one of his messages dealt with a Latin phrase called Coram Deo. It's Latin for in the presence of God. In quoting R.C. Sproul, he says, the big idea of the Christian life is Coram Deo. Coram Deo captures the essence of the Christian life. The phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. Now that's what I want to do, don't you? I want to live my entire life in the presence of God, under His authority, according to His perfect plan for my life, into all His glory not restrained by rules or any form of imprisonment or acting or lying, just freedom, real freedom. To be the woman or man that we were made to be from the beginning. To do the will of God, fulfill that unique purpose that he created us to fulfill. And I believe that's what a life in freedom is all about. Now there's one last stool, uh, leg to the stool. And I think it's a critical element or the stool doesn't stand up. You can't do it alone. Now the Holy Spirit is always going to be one step ahead of us here. But in my opinion, and this is just what's worked for me, in addition to Surrendering and abiding in Christ and accepting this wonderful gift of grace and giving it back out. I believe you have to belong to a strong church family. I think um, this last year has shown us more than anything how important the intimate touch of being with fellow brothers and sisters in a strong, loving church family is. where this is a place we become to learn. We learn about each other, we learn about discipleship, and we go out and do it. Fifteen years ago, when my family first started coming to Fourth Avenue, I was not living a life of freedom in Christ that I've been describing thus far. I was living a fragmented life of, of roles. 
husband, father, son, brother, co-worker, churchgoer. Now the Holy Spirit had freed me from some addictive habits years earlier, but I was still an actor playing out the roles that I was within every day. Various stages of my life, according to what suited me best. I was not abiding in Christ. I was not living a life of Coram Deo. I was still hiding a lot about my past. And I was a prisoner of the shame from the life that I had lived. But God had a plan for me. And I believe Jeremiah 29, 11 should be a rallying cry for any of us. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The longer I live and the farther down the road I travel, abiding in Christ, the more I become convinced that God does not put any meaningless situations in my life. None. No coincidences. Let me illustrate. Shortly after joining this body, in Sunday school, I met Wade Walters. Wade Walters introduced to a few of us there that he had a ministry where he would go into Nashville to a halfway house every Monday night and lead an hour-long Bible study to the residents of this halfway house. And these residents were men from, say, 20s to 60s, maybe about 30 residents at any point in time that were either just out of jail and trying to segment segue their their way back into society or they were trying to stay out of jail and entering this program was the way to do it. So a few of us men from here would go to with Wade to this Bible class. You know who you are, you're scattered throughout this room. On Monday nights, we went there to add encouragement, uh, make a comment if things got quiet, right? One night, I was running late, and I came into the room, and it was full. I mean, business was good. And there was one seat against the wall between these two dudes, and I sat down there, and I immediately noticed that there was a guy I'd never seen before sitting to my left. I'll call him Mike. And Mike, the first thing I couldn't help but notice, and I know he probably saw me staring at him, I bet he was used to people staring at him. He had tattoos that covered every square inch of flesh you could see. Arms, fingers, top of hands, neck, face, eyelids, even the top of his short cropped hair head was covered with tattoos. Think Ray Bradbury's illustrated man and you got it. Do they still teach that? in school. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, Mike, I'll call him, sat quietly during Wade's lesson, and at the end of class, he said, I don't don't understand any of this. He said, you know, what don't you understand? I don't understand Jesus and what you're talking about, this Bible. I don't understand it. So as we were at the end of our time together, We had the closing prayer. We told Mike, hey, a few of us will stick around with you. And so the the men from forth huddled around Mike. 
and learned his story. We learned that Mike had, since a, a young child, been incarcerated. Since single digits, he had been somewhere. Reform school, jail, prison. I figure now he's in his late 40s. Mike had been incarcerated virtually his entire life. He said, even if there is a Jesus Christ, he could never want me after all I've done. We huddled around Mike and we shared the gospel and we prayed. And we asked him if he wanted to get to know Jesus. And he said, his first reaction was, I want to see my mom again. I said, where's your mom? She's dead. But she always talked about Jesus. She believed in Jesus. I believe she's in heaven. I want to be with mom. We told Mike that we believe Jesus Christ could do anything to someone that surrendered the life to Jesus. We asked him if he wanted to do that. And in tears, he said he did. We embraced and we prayed. We said, see you next week, Mike. This week's going to be better. A few days later, Wade called me to let me know that the resident head of the halfway house had called him to say that Mike did not wake up the next morning. They found him dead in his bed. Who knows why? Heart attack, blood clot. But here's my point about this. Number one, I believe Mike got to see his mom. I believe Mike is with Jesus Christ today. And number two, no meaningless encounters, remember? No coincidences. I truly believe this was part of God's plan. Starting with the day I walked in this church, we met here, we were equipped here, we were sent out from here to do the Lord's work. Every man that was with me huddled around Mike that night, I met here. Not at work, not at school, not at a bar. Therefore, that's why I say having a church home and being active within it, actually going to Bible study, showing up on Wednesday night, showing up for, for, for Friday night worship, getting to know people, being here enough that you get to know people versus sitting on the pew and going home to lunch. Don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying for me, this is all about me right now. <laughs> the only way that I learned how to abide in Christ how to accept and give grace, and how to go out and tell the good news to the mics of the world was what I found right here at Fourth Avenue. Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God, addresses our purpose this way. He didn't call you so you could settle in, live in comfort, and have superficial peace. His purposes are not random or arbitrary. If you are still alive on this planet, it's because he has something for you to do. He placed us on this earth for purposes that he orchestrated 
long before we were born. I want to take an opportunity to thank every one of you because you helped me become the man of God I believe he had intended for me to be from the get-go. Thank you for that. And if you're looking for a church home, this is a great place to be. Love you guys. Amen.